The problems that I face today at work are a million times different than the problems I faced a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. And that's what makes the journey fun now. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Muela, and I am jumping in with my man, Jason Yoss. Super excited to have you in the house. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a long time. Glad we got to catch up here in beautiful Vegas. Long time coming. We've right. known each other for a while. Yep. Why don't you you back up? You tell some of the history, man. How, how did we meet? What's, what's some of the story? So most of the story is maybe uh, 10 years ago. There was this uh, company that was getting leads for you. So that's where it started. And it's my property. Yeah. Uh, I goes, you're taking me back. Yeah. So that was my first, that's my first meetings. And then after that, I got circled back to like, hey, there's this new platform called Lead Simple. And it was like, okay, this, this makes sense. And then after that, it was like, hey, um, you know, how are you doing as a business? And uh, it was the first time somebody actually asked me that question, like how, and I was like, man, this is tough. Uncomfortable. It, it was, yeah. Actually, the theme to my relationship with Jordan is like uncomfortable questions. Like, so how do you feel about, anyway, the, but it was great. That's how we came together. And then you helped me kind of take that different approach uh, where at property management, nobody really talked to us business owners about like, hey, you need to be in the black. And here's a roadmap of how some other of us are doing it. And how, come on, join the team. There was there was very few of us in the beginning. Um, but that's how we really started working together regularly. And a couple years later, here I am. Business is fabulous. I'm so lucky. Uh, I have great mentors. I consider you uh, a top mentor and coach. So Thank I you. really appreciate all that. Kind. Um, but this is actually the first time we've ever met in, in person. person. You don't get out. You're not a, like a trade show junkie. Nah, yeah, I'm not. This is my first one. It's my first time at NARP. I'm first time ever going to like, I would get to like, come to us in Texas. We're going here. We're meeting there. Oh, we're down the street in San Diego. And I'm like, I'm not going to leave the lab. Uh, but I will give it out. Give a shout out to Jeremy Pound's team over at Rentscale. They like, Jandrea, they were like, you're coming. You're, you're with Second Nature, you're with Rensco, you're with all these groups. Um, you, you need to come to this event. And well, so happy to be here. And then of course I was like, wait a minute, Jordan's here. I gotta, I gotta see Jordan. So that, uh, that's what brought me to your door here. And thank you for having me on. Thanks for connecting. And thanks for 10 years worth of uh, trailblazing in this business. I mean, so much, so many of us, we're stoked to be able to look back and when the industry was kind of in an infancy, when you were just like a realtor who happened to do rentals, and now we're professional property managers, managers whose sole focus is on property management. Well, man, I and appreciate that. Point. I'm still trying to figure it out one day at a time myself here. It still feels <laughs> early days. But I recall that the conversations that we had early on were stimulating and interesting to me. And that's what I need to show up at my best, is to be in a conversation where I'm not quite sure where it's going to go. My recollection, particularly on the temperament and the emotional tone of the conversation, is that there was some stress, yeah. there was some strain. And the way I would put it, I had a coach and mentor that says the problem has to be ripe enough. Right. There are certain problems where it's obvious that's broken, but it's not quite ripe enough for somebody to want to do anything about it. Tell me about the ripening of the challenges that you were facing in your business before having some breakthroughs. What were, what, what were, where were we at? So I think uh, I have, and I don't have them on today, but there are some socks that Jordan, uh, one of his company's profit coach came out with, and they say uh, profit over doors. And that's a mantra. But before I looked at it the other way, it was doors over profit. And so you had a lot of doors. I had a lot of doors. We, I had a lot of doors. And we were the cheapest company or the least expensive company in three markets. Probably a connection between those two things. That's exactly correct. And 
it got to the point where I was maxed out of my business line of credit. I didn't know how I was going to make payroll. And I had talked to Jordan before and I was like, what do I do? And he brought me in. You brought me in to one session. And like you went around the room for a little, going through these business owners. And again, it was small back then. And then you asked a question for me, like, we'll go over what you're charging and things like that. And, um, you know, I gave him out and you're like, well, I notice you're not charging this or that or anything. And I'm like, well, can't do that in my market. Right. And, uh, it's, you know, it's funny to hear that because everybody who first gets into the coaching says, well, I, I can't do that. I can't charge that. And then you ask the group, hey, raise your hand if you're charging this or if you're adding these services, if you're doing these. And everybody raised their hand. And I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I, and you helped me get the right mindset, come up with a plan. I, I went to work immediately. And in a couple months, I, I brought the team in and we made a change. And we went from almost about 2,000 doors. And a couple months, we started implementing changes that help our business go from being in the red, from drowning to being a profitable company, being a company where even though there's daily stresses in running a property management company and having employees and trying to make sure we serve both clients and tenants needs, but it's a job. It isn't my life. And I'm able to provide good value and good service to all those people, employees, clients, tenants. And I can go home at the end of the day and I don't have to worry about there being no money in the bank account, me worried about how am I going to make payroll. And more importantly, I think this is the most important thing. Like I have a whole group of colleagues out there who go through these same struggles every day. And they've helped me know that when there's a problem, I can reach out and say, hey, how are you guys handling this? Where before I was like my own island. I I, I was the only, only I could know how to fix things. And so- that is how it started for me. That's how it started to change. Now, that's what, three years ago, at least, 2019. But um, that's how far we've come in just three short years. Was there some cognitive dissonance for you at the point that your company was shrinking and contracting, which is what's really not typically supposed to happen, and yet the profits are, are increasing? Was that a little a little bit of um, some adjustment. It's kind of weird in some ways, no? You're so right. So at first it was the initial like people when you raise your rates. And again, I'm not talking about it being out of control. We were providing wonderful value service, but we had to actually get paid, get paid for that. So we did lose clients through some attrition. And in the beginning it was like, this is this is for a good reason. But you're right. Eventually I had to say like, I'm losing all these properties. What else are we not doing right? And it was a catalyst to be able to do two things. One, look at the bottom line every month because that's the health of my company. When I noticed it wasn't red, it was black, and then it was a lot black, that was the first metric like, okay, we're doing something right. And then the second metric was, we noticed that we shed a lot of clients who uh, were not the right fit. And so we got down to about 800 doors. It was quite a... It was quite a shock and it didn't happen all overnight, but that focus of the clients now that we have, man, we can give them great service and they actually appreciate it. And the balance sheet, the numbers match where we should be. And so those two things kind of broke the mold between like, well, I don't have 2000 doors. Yeah, but that's not that at the end of the day, that isn't the number one benchmark to having a healthy company to running a successful property management firm. So I just, I want to make sure we're really dialed here because somebody is going to hear going from 2000 doors to 800 doors. And, and that's not the sales pitch most people are looking for. Right. What happened to, to profits? Would you say profits doubled? What was the, what was the movement in the bottom line? Well, I'm sure, you know, if you don't know Danny from Profit Coach, Danny will tell you, he'll pull out my numbers and say, I think you were at a negative 7% profit. And now we're, you know, a 20% to 25% profit company. So, um, it just, that's the real figure that matters at the end of the day. But more importantly, we can provide better service because we have the right operations, we have the right personnel in place, we have the right outline and organization for the clients we have now. Now, doesn't mean we're not gonna get back to 1800, you know, we're well over, we're back over the thousand number, we're moving the right direction, but it took some purge. And it wasn't just pricing. It allowed us to look at other things like, well, what are we doing operationally? What are we doing expense-wise? Uh, I got I to gotta talk to some of my business owners out there. Like, 
Are you afraid to look at what you're spending every month, what your expenses are? I bet you right now you can go in and find five to 10% just like that. But if mm. you're not looking mm. at that, if mm. all you're concerned with, how many doors are you going to bring in this month? You might not be as successful as you think you are. And part of what you're talking about is your personal focus. Right. What you pay attention to is what improves. Right. Most entrepreneurs struggle with finances. They're yeah. not accountants. They didn't get a financial education. I certainly didn't. Absolutely. And it's unpleasant. It's oh, not it's... it's not satisfying. There's juice in a lot of areas of the business. <sighs> Spreadsheets aren't one of them. Talk to me about your journey personally of how you relate to finance and how that's changed. Uh, you could have said it better. I couldn't say it better myself. I mean, uh, it scares me every time I got to look at it. But Danny and Dave and the, and the gentleman at Profit Coach, just telling me at a minimum, you got to be in there at least once or twice a month to just know where the numbers, where are they going? So it's a mindset focus. I don't do the sales. I'm not the business development manager in my company anymore. And the reason is because like, I love that. That's easy. Like I'll mm -hmm. take that role in a second. What my job is as president CEO is to make sure that I have the people in place to do that. And that includes putting in, looking at the numbers and making sure that there's a rhyme or reason to where they are. And so I had to relearn how to do that. And it hasn't been fast. It's not like I, you know, did this overnight. This is still three years in the making and I'm getting better and better, but I never got myself to do it every day. I mean, I'm sure there's some CEOs that wake up every morning and they look at their dashboard and they know where they're. I'm not there yet. Okay. But I am in there. Um, I am in there in the middle of every month. So I know what the expenses are. I know what we're forecasted to. And it also allows me to manage the company by the metrics versus by feel, which is entrepreneur or business owner's worst nightmare. Do not manage your company by feel. You have to manage it by benchmark or you're going to look up and go, I thought I was here, but you're really not. So again, this came from coaches and mentors. These are the people who helped me to change my habits so that they're better and the company is better for it. So if you think about the changes that you made, the surface area of what you were trying to touch was not just close to 2000 doors. It was also multi-market, right. which in my mind is, is compounding complexity. Yeah. And I don't know what the drive times were. What, what were the markets? What was the proximity? How were you, how did you decide to do that? And what commentary or, or feedback do you have for somebody that's thinking about maybe dreaming about a multi-market scenario? So this is the great question. I was on NARPM um, Nevada and NARPM Las Vegas talking about this as well. It is extremely difficult to run multiple markets, let alone multiple offices, okay? Those are difficult tasks. So number one, how did I get into it? I was in the military, I was moving a little bit and I just kept everywhere I went, I added another office. I don't recommend that as a- Best practice? Yeah, that's not the best way to do it. And I never- wanted to give it up. I was like, well, I don't want to give up these markets because I've started them. I've got some skin in the game. So we've had to learn to adjust. And there are days when I'm like, if I had one, one market, I could be the master and I could do much better in one. And that might be true, but the fact is I have three and I had to learn to how to best grow three. So if I was talking to another property management company owner and they wanted to move into another market, the first thing I would say is, look, I would try to stay close to home first. You don't have to go state to state. We are in Las Vegas, Nevada. We're in Phoenix, Arizona, and we're in San Diego, California. Yeah, it's the Southwest, and it's not far of a drive or a flight, but it's also not the same as if I was in San Diego and Orange County, right, right up the road. So my first advice would be is pick a market that is somewhat closer. So if you have to be there, you can, if you want to use redundant uh, tactics like, one, you know, receptionist for both offices or a manager to cover down. It's a little bit easier. Okay. So that's number one. Number two, try to find and cut out redundancy. People think that you need to have a receptionist at every desk. And in today's world, it's why you could have one receptionist. She or he could even be a remote team member answering all the calls for every office in one place. This is an example of trying to cut out redundancy because the initial thought is, Oh, I have one in every office, one of each in every office. You don't need that. And that line of thinking will make your expenses go very high. 
The last part is you got to find an integrator or you got to find a way to split your time energy up so that you can have somebody who's helping oversee and run some of these offices that you trust. It's very difficult to run multiple offices by yourself. You've got to have a director of property management or director of ops, or you have to have some kind of organizational schedule to be able to understand the complexities of each market and have someone that you trust to be able to help run those, or you're just going to run out of bandwidth yourself. Um, I think um, challenges like, well, pricing in Nevada versus pricing in San Diego, those are easily overcame. Okay. My my entrepreneurs out there, you can overcome those things. Uh, I, we personally use kind of the same model everywhere and we make it work. I've seen other companies do like, well, in Arizona, they charge X and in California, they charge Y. I understand that. And I would recommend that you learn the laws in each locale, but these are easier problems. Mm-hmm. The first things I talked about is have a plan before you go. Don't just run off doing different states, you know, start local versus far out. These are the things that would I would... This is where I put my energy first before I open another office. But I guess it comes down to, I would close with like, are you the best in your current market? Mm-hmm. What do you see entrepreneur of going to another market that's going to be better than being the number one, having 5,000 doors in your current market? How much market share do you even have? Like, why are you moving? What is the reason? And that question, once you answer that, the rest of it will are just tips to be more successful. That's some great feedback. When we started off the interview, there was some discussion of fee maxing and fee maxing ultimately mechanically, it does have um, um, a specific impact on the PL. It's it's unavoidable as a component sure. of the conversation, but the execution is so much more than that. We're talking about yeah. culture. We're talking about leadership. Let's talk about people. Let's talk about ops. When you made these shifts, these were some really significant shifts from the right. from the change of the size of the company to the way that you're running the offices, to the way that you're structuring things. What did that look like on the frontline staff? What was received? What was not? Who did you have to transition out of the organization? Who stepped up? And what did that feel like walking the staff through those changes? So first and foremost, I was at a position where I had to. This wasn't an option. It was really, there's a major problem and you as a company might not be around in a couple more months if you continue your path. So it had to be done when it comes to like fee maxing. But in terms of the mechanics of making it work, culturally having the right people in place, that's gonna be your biggest thing for your company in general, whether you're fee maxing or not. But in fee maxing, it's so important because you have to have buy-in. You have you're inputting a whole bunch of fees that go with the services you're already providing. But if you don't have buy-in, if you don't have an integrator or somebody you can trust to help make sure those fees get applied. Mm-hmm. Collected. Correct. You're going to say, hey, I got a contract out. Now I got a bunch of clients who signed it, but you may not have the revenue coming in. So for Golden West, when we made the change, we we had some complaints oh we're now that we're now expensive nobody you know the oh, nobody wants to work with us anymore it's like no that's not true okay so it did take changing out some long time employees people that uh you know, have a lot of love for and i have a lot of respect for what they did when we weren't you know beforehand but i had to make a change the biggest change came with my integrator my director of operations uh so the one i had great lady was with us for five plus years but just was like, eh, I don't really, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to enforce any of these fees. We're just going to, it's difficult. And she wasn't ready to have those difficult conversations or, and train the staff to have them. So, uh, you know, we parted ways and that was tough because after five years of relying on somebody who was uh, number two, I got, had to get someone else to do that. And I was not sure. And I actually reached out to you and said, Jordan, what do I do? And you gave me that like, hey, not everybody's going to be along for the ride. So entrepreneurs, you really got to understand that like when you have those visions like, oh, they're going to be here for 20 years, they're going to be this great company. Not everybody's going to be along for that ride. And I was lucky enough because my next director of operations happened to be in the building. He uh, was our BDM or sales manager and he was crushing it over there. He was doing all the stuff we love to do, going to get new clients. Like, ah, got him, here you go. And 
not only did he want the challenge, not only did he understand what he was about to step away from, the, the easy role, like all the pleasant conversations with new onboarding clients, the wins, but now into an operational, like you're the one they call when you got to fix things. Mm. It's the harder job. Not only did he want to do it, not only did he understand the challenge, he stepped into it and he, he's been thriving. We wouldn't be as successful without this gentleman. And by the way, shout out to Roy True, the teddy bear, nicest man in our industry by far. Uh, I can't find one person who doesn't love him. He is the yin to my yang, everything from temperament to just, um, you know, the way he looks at the same puzzle and we wouldn't be as successful without him. And so again, challenging entrepreneurs, especially those of you who have never really always kind of gone on it alone, didn't have a partner. Um, you know, find that yin to your yang. So I did that. He took a little while to learn because he was always on the sales side, never on that really the PM, the op side. But his ability to connect with people, help us build a culture, help us get buy-in. That made the Femax part become, this is just part of our value add service to our client. This is who we are. This is a uh, rent it like you mean it. And that's our slogan. That's our mantra. And he is an embodiment of that. And that's what's allowed us to be so successful because the change, as you said, is mechanical. But the buy-in, getting the culture, getting the right people around, and then throwing COVID, like that's just an extra burden on top of it. He helped us get there. And that's a great takeaway. So having an integrator who can help you build culture, get buy-in so you can get the fees that you're collecting. And then obviously, again, nuts and bolts on operations, streamlining processes, things that aren't sexy, but matter. Those are those, you get 5% there when you Femax. You get another 5% when you get buy-in from your team. You get another 5% of profit when you start to cut through expenses. You get another 5% of, of profit when you start to streamline your operations. Like That's how you get to 25. And that's our benchmark for industry, right? We want to be 25% net profit companies. Well- I was a negative seven. So it we took all these things to go and that's a snapshot of how it started and, and that's where we're headed to. It's unusual to take somebody <clears throat> from a sales BDM role into effectively a COO function. I, right. ca I can't say I've seen that many times. I love that that's been effective for you. Right. Talk to me more about the integrator dynamic, specifically around where your focus is and the ways that you protect your focus. What I find and what I experience personally is that the things that I have proximity to, I pay attention to. Whether they're high quality problems or low quality problems, I am built to just grate and melt problems. What's right in front of me? So I have to protect myself right. from a lot. What has changed in terms of your focus, staff issues, owner issues? How have you shielded yourself to maintain your focus? I love the, the reason I connect so well with you is because we see a lot of things very similar and I can't agree more. Proximity for me is a major problem. Like if I look at my email in the first of every morning, like I'm not going to get out of the major tasks I want because I'm like, let me tackle my email. You're hooked. Yeah. So proximity, let's start there. The biggest thing that an integrator or a director of ops does is he handles the day-to-day -day operations so that those problems can be handled by someone who can think and apply our culture or our mantras to solving those problems. And that allows it to not have to be me to be the problem solver on every issue. So setting the tasks, being clear about them, setting the mindset, the why, that gives that integrator enough room to understand like, this is my domain. This is the why I'm the person to answer these questions. And this is, these are the things that I need to bring to the big guy. And again, I say big guy, he and I are, we're very close. There isn't that kind of hierarchy structure. So proximity is important because if I get myself in the weeds, I'll start, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, let me, I'll, I'll clean the admin desk, you know, I'll do that if it's in front of me. So that has helped me by setting up a structure so those problems don't get to me. Mm -hmm. Not because I don't want them, but because they, they don't need to get to my desk. We have defined what should be on my desk and what shouldn't. That's number one. Number two, find your yin to your yang. Like find somebody who understands and sees a problem or sees what success is from a different angle because they're gonna tell you or they're gonna be able to help you forge another way to hit those good levels. 
whether it be solving a problem or achieving success, their outlook is something that it's just a different perspective and you need that. So again, I know what I do well. I love the sales component. I don't do very well down in the weeds on detail-oriented operation stuff. And it caused me when I was to be um, not the best leader. And I'm perfectly capable of telling everybody like, hey, sometimes I would suffer in the leadership side on a one-to-one role because I would get overwhelmed of being in the weeds. And the integrator allowed me to step back and work on the areas that I excel in while having a select and defined role of what I'm supposed to be on the things I don't excel in. All right, so those are that's what has worked well. Um, uh, it's difficult to find the person though. Let's focus in on that. Temperament, vibe. Temperament, vibe. The integrator position you re- that you read about in a book and it's somebody that's gonna do, do some complimentary tasks. It's a pretty straightforward idea. But when you talk about finding someone, it's not globally, it's not a integrator, it's your integrator. It's the right. person that you feel that connection to. Everybody backs into this in a different way. You live in San Diego, correct? I do. So you're in you're in the same market as C Wealthy. I love Steve. Steve, I, I love you. Please. Shout out to Steve. God, I love you, Steve. Yes. And <laughs> Steve and I chat a lot and, and it, w- totally different temperament than I am. Totally different temperament. And he has an integrator as well. And I imagine that, that that dynamic is different. Right. What would you say to entrepreneurs about specifically the magic and how much you need to vibe with this person beyond their mechanical ability to do tasks and to functionally accomplish things? What is the level of rapport that you need and what does that magic create? What does that feel like for you? I mean, that that's the big key. So let's start with another big profit coach thing. You need to be intentionally hiring. You have to define specifically based again on your temperament of like, what does their job look like? What do you want them to do? And what is your, what's your interaction with them? Where, where, where the problems or successes that should be on your desk? If you don't have that dialed in, you're going to be shooting from the hip when trying to find that person. So who are you? Do the introspective look. What do you need to compliment you specifically in tasks, in, um, and things that we just talked about. Um, the next part is when you're intentionally hiring, then you're looking for the right candidates. You have to have some kind of like screening process to know who you're going to bring on board. And you got to make sure that you're not just going for the first shiny object that comes in your way. So a lot of times we like the things that are um, that we're used to, that we're comfortable with. And the integrator is supposed to be actually be the opposite mm-hmm. of us. So that is really important to make sure we stick to uh, – Hey, I'm looking for these specific, this specific task, this specific type of person, because it's not who I am. It's actually different than what I am. Now, I'm sure other people will say like, well, it doesn't have to be polar opposites. And that's right. But again, you need to define what you are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and who you want to fill that, what their strengths would be to compliment you. Um, and then lastly, I think the search wide, you, you use the term globally, uh, and I'm going to just talk geographically. You, you know, you, you need to figure out, is that somebody that's already in your network and you don't know it? Is that someone in your company? Or is that someone that you got to go on LinkedIn and Indeed to find? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it is really difficult, but you, I would recommend putting a quick little video together when you put it out there to your colleagues and say, this is what I'm looking for. And because your colleagues, people in your sphere of influence in your network, they know you as well. And when you put out a little video of what you're looking for, they're able to go like, I got somebody who might work well with Jason, or I got somebody who I think might work well with Jordan, because they know you. And that might be a little better than just Indeed, just LinkedIn or ZipRecruiter, because it's very difficult to find the right person that way. So that that would be my feedback again. I got very fortunate because the person was in house, mm-hmm. and I was like, no, 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 mm-hmm. and he was like, yes, 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 and it's worked every step of the way. So we, I think the teddy bear and I have been together for at least five years now, and it, every day is uh, every day is great. It's great coming in and working with somebody I consider one of my best friends, as well as somebody who knows like he's not afraid to roll up his sleeves. He's not afraid to work just as hard as I am, he's not afraid to talk vision of the company, but it allows me to be able to not be afraid to say, hey, this is the vision of company. Where do you see yourself this year, in two years, in five years? So that I can get his feedback on the journey together. 
And that's important. It is a journey together. If you think this is just a regular employee, you're sorely mistaken. Let's talk a little bit about vision and core values, which as you just stated, is a big uh, arrow in the quiver of the integrator. Right. It's the transference where you're able to, at a very high level, communicate where do we really need to go? What is most right. meaningful? And they take it all the way down to the ground. Now, some people struggle with core values. They struggle because they think it's it's a bumper sticker. It's right. a wall poster. It's compliance. It's some bullshit that the owner came up with and is going to act like it's how we run the company, but it isn't. Right. It ain't. What's been your experience? How, how many iterations did you have and what did it take to really get it embedded in the organization? That phrase again, Jordan, that it's a bumper sticker. It's so true. And a lot of us, I know, struggle with it. It's like, ah, it's just some, we put a focus group together and we wrote some stuff down that we want to be, but that's not, not us. So it's tough. It takes a while, but it really has to be the heartbeat of your, your company. Because if, you're, if you don't get it right, or if you make it a projection of what you want to be, but it's not, it's very difficult to actually give somebody like an integrator the ability to make decisions and meet that vision. So for us, our mantra is rent it like you mean it. All right. And uh, it's important. I mean, it really is, but it's not a bumper sticker for us. It is everything from how we want our clients to act to how we want our employees to behave when engaging in property management. Right, And then we have our core values. And maybe core value four is not as strong as core value one, but core value one is living, breathing like every day when we are talking about an after action of a situation that was done right or maybe could have done better. We can go to those core values. And I think you're the one who told me before, like, hey, if core value is commitment to communication, we should be able to look at every success or every problem through that prism. And so I would tell my entrepreneurs when you're, talking with your integrator, and you're talking about success, it has to be through your core values, has to be through that mantra, because that way you're on the same page about how do we get to success? Well, of course we got to success because we're committed to commun communication. We got to that lead fastest, we got to that maintenance repair with good communication. Even when it was bad news, we were able to tell clients the things they needed to hear, good and bad, in a concise, and effect, efficient communication mantra. And that's how we win. And when we don't do that, that's how we lose. He can see it. You can see it. The employees can see it. Your clients can see it. So that's why the core values, that's why the mantra is so important. And again, it doesn't need to be bumper sticker, 10 things that you ended up some focus group, but it has to be a way that you and your integrator and your team can view success or failure. Every problem should be answered like, well, that client doesn't want to run it like they mean it. Like, well, that's not the right client for us. Or hey, we we did X, Y, or Z. Like, that's not running like you mean it. That's what you should be saying throughout your office. And when I see Roy out there, he he can diagnose a problem in five seconds and he can always apply one of the, either a mantra or a, a core value right away with it. And that's why it's so success, successful. That's why we're on the same page. Because even though we look at the page from different angles, mm -hmm. we know what the driving factor is for success. We know what success looks like. And it's not like, Oh, they got there one day before the move-in to do the move-in. That's not success. Success is we were committed to communication. We we're committed to rent it like you mean it. Amen, man. Well said. I got this from you and from my <laughs> none of this, like And this I is, got it from somewhere else. Yeah, we're all learning right. together, man. This is and that's the key. That's my takeaway, Jordan, is that this conversation that we're talking about today is a kind of a compilation of a ton of mini conversations we've had over several years, mm -hmm. maybe with you and I or myself and Danny or myself and David or somebody on the team, like these conversations have occurred and through practice and through a desire and sheer will, it's started to make success look easier and easier every day. The problems that I face today at work are a million times different than the problems I faced a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. And that's what makes the journey fun now. Versus like when I was like, I don't know how I want to make payroll next month. It's amazing to me the degree to which progress defines how you feel about the exact same amount of effort. Same yeah. amount of effort. Things aren't going well. Man, it's tough. Yeah. This sucks. I don't want to be doing this. Yeah. Same amount of effort. You're crushing. This feels good. <laughs> in, cy in cycling, they say it never gets easier, but you go faster. Yeah. Progress allows you to have stamina 
and endurance. You used a term a second ago, an after action report. You have a military background. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how that has colored and shaped and impacted your experience as an entrepreneur. You know, I was in the Marine Corps. I did two tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. I was in the infantry. I picked up a wealth of, I'll call it my MBA from the Marine Corps. It was fabulous. I also got some negative, you know, real world business acumen from the Marine Corps as well. You know, I came out as a first A grade micromanager. Okay. I came out as somebody that didn't take failure um, as well as I should in stride like I'm supposed to. I took a lot of things too personal. But at the same time, there are things like, you know, both myself and, and the team members that we've gathered in our culture are like, we'll work harder than anybody else. We'll work more efficiently than anybody else. We're not here to play games. We're not here just to be in the office to be in the office. But um, we want to be, we want to provide as much value to our, in whatever we're doing. All right. And so I got a lot of that from the military. One of those things, after action report, after action of an event, instead of finger pointing, hey, give me the breakdown of what you saw happen. Instead of me jumping to conclusions, I want to see what you saw. I want to see how you viewed it. And then we're able to step back and really look at problems like, well, does the training really cover that? Did they just not follow the training? Or was it like, hey, maybe the training needs to be updated? Like, what were they thinking, especially in issues where you have someone in a decision-making role? You cannot be successful if you have employees that aren't decision makers. That means you or your integrator will be the only decision makers. That is not a recipe for success, in my opinion. So the after action allows us to diagnose what were they thinking? What was their thought process when something took place? And then it's able to much easier to peel back and go, what do we need to fix to prevent that? Again, not just, oh, like we moved them in without doing an inspection and now the house doesn't look good. Great. That's... That's a symptom of the bigger issue that needs to be tackled. So when you have something major that comes up, you have to have some kind of mechanism in place to do a review. And if you're really good, that mechanism isn't at your CEO level, or you have things that are at the CEO level, but you have to empower your team to be able to get comfortable and get used to doing that. Okay. If not, it just becomes like, what do I care, man? So-and-so will take care of her. So-and-so will tell me what I did wrong and... And you want to get away from that mindset. The best company cultures have thinkers on their team. Lots of thinkers. Mm. And to be able to mm. make sure that the thought process is in the right place and after action is a good example of how to do it. But if you make it a finger pointing or a throw nonsense, you know, shame fest, it's not going to achieve its appointed goal. So um, what about hier hierarchy? Talk to me about hierarchy, about what it was like in that environment versus what you've learned about how to, the degree to which to enforce hierarchy and the degree to which to embrace a more flat structure. Where are you at today on that? So two things I'll say about it. Number one, I didn't realize this until later on, but in the military or any in the Marine Corps, you have a rank structure. But the truth is that chevron on your collar, that shiny stuff doesn't earn you respect. Just because I'm an officer and you're an enlisted doesn't mean that you're, you're going to buy into what I'm saying just because I'm higher ranked than you are. So it's important to understand in any structure that you have in place, just because you're the boss, doesn't they'll do it just enough to not get fired, but it's not going to be the end state that you want. So that's number one in terms of like hierarchy. Number two, in terms of do you want a flat model? Do you want a, you know, a tiered structure, middle manager structure? There are a million ways to skin this cat. I have people that I... Uh, look up to quite a bit. Matt Tringali, for example, is somebody who the first person I saw using like one manager and like 50 RTMs, you know, I was like, wow, how could you do it that way? So there's a million ways to skin the cat. I would tell you that for us, I want a few key individual decision makers, thinkers that can integrate processes. And then I want people that are able to learn and make a process efficient. All right. And their ability to be able to understand and make a process efficient is helps us see who needs to, who's ready for the next roll up. Hiring within, promoting within is such a great mm. thing to do. So, however, you cut the hierarchical structure, okay, number one, without buy in, without the why, 
you can tell people what to do, but it's not going to happen very well. And number two, you need to think about a process where there are key individuals who can think and help solve problems. And then there are people who can efficiently run processes. And the way you promote from within or people can do their task and they can do it well, then let's see if they can go to the next level. Can you transition from a process to a thinker? Thinkers, can you come from uh, individual thinking, maybe a department to multiple departments, things like that. Where do you position the thinking and the control of processes? It can exist on the front lines and anybody could change processes at any times. Right. It can be consolidated just with the CEO. Where are you at in terms of where that locus of control exists? I'd like to say that it's top-down direction, bottom-up refinement, okay? So I can say, <clears throat> this is how we're going to approach renewal process, like renewing a lease, for example, okay? And I can work with my team to create a training structure, and I can use a lead simple or some kind of task structure to make sure they have the appropriate process, you know, tracker or checkup in place. But the truth is the people on the ground who do it every day, they're the ones who are going to be able to push the information up like, hey, it would be more efficient mm -hmm. if we did X. It makes more sense to do Y. And then you need to be able to have a set time frame or mechanism that you ask them. If not, you're going to go weeks or months or years ago. And like, why didn't you tell me that doesn't work? It's like, well, you never asked. You never gave me a door to open up and go, Stop sending th these things out 120 days before renewal. Nobody even answers. Let's do it 90. You never gave me the impression that you wanted to hear my feedback. That's correct. So back to, I'm not a process person, but it is what has helped us be more successful. That, that's profound to me. You are a successful guy running a successful company and you own, you're saying that you're not a process person, but you're still benefiting from it. That's There's some freedom in that. Is there, is there not? I mean, without going too in too in depth to me, I'm like, don't fill up my calendar because I need some freedom to do Jason Wiggle Room. Like, I want that. Don't tell me what to do. But the truth is, processes efficiency help us get to that freedom. I think that Jocko says like discipline equals freedom. It's your processes help you give define specific tasks, help create efficiency. That helps be able to provide not just financial freedom, but you get better at serving your clients. You get better at helping your employees do well. You get better as a company. But it is a foreign thing to me, the entrepreneur, the like, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me I can't do it type of person. But in anything, you got to find that balance. You have to find that balance. Um, and process has been, you know, it's been one of those mechanisms in a company that's helped us be successful. Mm. So I, it's like pointy sometimes for myself, but stick to your calendar, stick to your processes, stick to the things that are going to allow not just you to be successful, but other people around you, employees, clients, customers to be successful. When they're successful, trust me, you'll be successful. If you're the only one in the room tooting the horn, like, yeah, that's not right. You've made a couple of great points of feedback towards other entrepreneurs. If you could go back and talk specifically to Jason. Oh, yeah. 10 years ago to that guy, to where that, that man, that person was at starting, what would you say? That's a great question. Other than the FEMAX thing, which really boils down to you provide a service and you want to provide the best service. And so most of us need to, or we forget that we can charge or we can have our costs be equivalent to our value. That's really what it boils down to. So saying to baby Jason, Hey, I know you think that the only way to get somewhere is by charging a flat 75 bucks and that's it. That's all I charge when I started. I would be able to say, hey, trust the fact that you're providing value and that you should charge accordingly. That, that's number one. Number two is be more deliberate in your processes. It doesn't mean that when you grow or you take on a new endeavor, it has to be slow. Just be deliberate. De deliberate. Put out what your goal is. A couple key things that need to have happen and then, you know, work from there to get it to, to work. Because a lot of times when we were making these changes to be successful, it was seat of pants. Like having three offices, it was kind of seat of pants. Being a little more deliberate would have made it, I think, achieving the goals a little bit faster. And um, those are the two main things. 
Uh, I think one thing I got from you, and I think this is important for everybody, this job is not you. You are not your property management company. You are your kids, your mm. wife, mm. your hobbies, your life, your love, your interests. This job is a job. And if you forget that, even if you're passionate, even if you have to grind and do 80 hour weeks, that's okay. But this job is not you. When something goes wrong, that is not a reflection of you. Okay. That is a, maybe something that, hey, well, maybe we have to address it. And for so long, I took it so personally. Every time there was a problem, I was like, fuck, that's not the right mindset. So those would be the three takeaways. As a leader, that same you that had just come out of the military, as you think about working with staff, having relationships, how have you evolved in your assessment of the degree to which people need to just get it and do it? <laughs> versus the softening. I sense that you've I sense that you've softened as as a person and as a as an entrepreneur and I know that's a journey and everybody winds up at a different point but what did that look like for you and what would that that feeder uh, that feedback for that aspect of your leadership be to the earlier version of yourself? Well, first and foremost, it's definitely a journey and I'm nowhere near the end, okay? I am I better than I was 10 years ago? 100%. 100%. Um, and I would say that for any of our military leaders transitioning out, like it's just not the same out here. Okay. And that's not a bad thing. All right. But again, constantly working to try to get better, know yourself, seek self-improvement. You have to want to get better all the time. And, and I fail all the time, but I know I'm a better leader and a better boss than I was two years, two years ago, 10 years ago. And if you stay committed to that, you're going to do better. Um, but it's a long journey. And uh, you do need to understand that there are ways to do things that are better than just yelling and screaming to get your point on. Like that's just the bottom line. Okay. And there are techniques for approaching a problem that it really isn't the end of the world, but you can handle in a better way. So, um, it's a great question. It's one that hits home for me because coming from the military background, I'm very much like a hard charger on it. But, you know, if you understand that that's not the way to solve every problem and you work it as a journey, you'll get better. And I hope that two months from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, um, the people that I work with are like, man, Jason was like that, really? Because I know people 10 years ago are probably going to look at this interview and go like, that dude's a crazy man. Like he's running around with a hair on fire in the office. And, um, this is part of the way it goes sometimes. It's growing, evolving. That's what we're all looking for. To the extent that we're not growing, me anyway, I'm, I'm deeply dissatisfied if I'm not growing. I need the stimulation. So right. looking forward, what keeps you mentally engaged in this business? You've clearly be gone beyond just having something stable. It's really going well and it's stable. Right. So what is the cutting edge that keeps you engaged? What's the trajectory? What are you heading towards that keeps you personally really focused and, and motivated as opposed to complacency? So first and foremost, just short-term goals is kind of the mantra in my head is finish what we started. Okay. Always. If you finish what we started, we started a company, it went to the bottom, we made changes and we're very close to that part where all of a sudden Jason isn't the driver behind this company. And it's almost there. I have great people that I work with every day who get it and who understand the culture and they make this company run, not me. I have clients that don't know who I am. I have realtor partners who don't know who I am. I have employees who have never met me. And that's great. So getting to that point um, and growing the right way, we're getting there. And I know that because I look at the dashboard and I talk to Danny regularly and he's like, man, do you remember where we started? That conversation comes up a lot. So that's really a key. The other thing is watching the people around me also be successful. Um, this mindset, mind, mindset shift to being like, I'm the only one who needs to be successful. What do I care about the other people to like, what are my mentors doing? What are my partners doing? What are my colleagues doing? What are my, what's my staff? How are they doing? How can we get them better? How can we get them to realize what they want in their life? That's become a real important factor. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be done tomorrow. Like, I, I, I don't know the word retirement, but I do know that I want the people around me to be successful. Mm. And whatever I do from here, whether it be continuing with PM, going to other facets of our industry, um, 
I want the people around me to also, when I make a nickel or when I do well, they do well mm. also. And mm. that gets me up every day. I can't tell you how many people mm. in our industry over the last two years, I've been in awe of like, man, like, wow, that's a great perspective. I, I love that. Um, and the more people I meet and the more people that I get to engage with, the more fulfillment I've been getting out of this thing we call work. Because we all got to have a job. So we might as well have one in something that we that fuels us daily. And it's not the nickels. And nickels are great, but it's not that. It's the interaction. It's the ability for me to go, hey, Jordan, you're at, you're at Narvum right now, right? Yeah, bro, come over. Go, let's get let's get together. Um, it's the ability to work with you know people I've known for 20 years and see them do well. Mm. I, there's no better satisfaction than that. Um, so that's it. Continue, you know, finish what we started and then, okay, what's next? Is everybody else doing well? Those are the two big, big things that keep me going. Couldn't have ended it at a better place. Jason, I want to thank you for allowing me to be a part of your journey. I know it feels like that there's been a lot of contribution from here towards you. Absolutely. You've contributed a lot towards me and satisfaction professionally. Me giving the same counsel, the same advice to somebody that's doing nothing with it. That's hell to me. Working with people that are, that are really moving the needle and doing awesome stuff. That create that's a deep well of satisfaction for me. Thank you for giving me that gift, brother. I, I can't thank you enough. Like you and Danny, you guys set set us on the right path. And I gotta ask you, like, there are others out there like me, right? There are others that you have success. I mean, there's gotta be because <clears throat> I look around those groups and I see other colleagues, and it's great to see them. And I know they're doing better as well. So, yeah, what you've done with us is great, but I know you've done it for other entrepreneurs who sit in the seat and have other great stories to share with the rest of us because of people like you. So keep it up, my friend. Keep doing what you're doing. I love it. Thanks, man. I'm paying it forward. And I expect that everybody listening to this that has the opportunity to do it to somebody else is going to do the exact same thing. And that's what makes the, the world go around, man. I love it. We'll leave it there. All right, man. Hey guys, quick message on the lead simple front. We are hiring aggressively into a bunch of different roles right now. Head of customer success, finance and accounting manager, customer implementation pilots, customer success associates, software engineers all over the place. So my question to you is, do you know somebody? Do you know somebody that might be interested or a fit for one of these roles? You can see the full scope at lead simple dot com forward slash careers head of customer success finance and accounting manager uh, are the ones that we are focused on the most right now but i'd love to have a conversation about any of these roles so if you have questions you can email me at jordan at leadsimple.com to understand the scope the depth and to know if anybody in your network might be a fit we are a live crew, highly competitive, a little bit nerdy, and we love to have a really good time along the way as we work. So if this sounds like a fit for somebody that you know, love to hear from them. Thanks, guys. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.